the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. I haven't done anything, all right, that deserves the blessings I have. The thing is, that is also extending God's loving kindness is extended in common grace. That is, an unbelieving person can get joy from their grandchildren too. They can enjoy amazing sunset like I can and enjoy that. They can have joy and laugh and all those things. That's the loving kindness of God in mercy because that ain't what they deserve. So one of the things I want you to understand that the word, when the Bible says God is love, it only says that twice. But the Old Testament particularly is full of this word. His loving kindness. We see that God is loved by the fact that he gives us wonderful grandkids when we don't deserve it. Well, a lot of, most of you will walk, I don't I hate to do this to you, but talk about food because I'm hungry already too. Okay, you walk out of here and enjoy a meal. That's the loving kindness of God. You're going to go out and feel that sunshine on your face. I like that feeling. I don't like cold. That's the loving kindness of God. He recognizes that he's the covenant keeper and he continues to show his loving kindness, his merciful love towards us, even when we don't deserve it. You say, why do you say that? Because if we keep reading, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear. How do your eyes hear? Anyway, uh, eyes to hear my prayer of your servants, which I am praying before you day and night. One of the things we find it, now day and night is hyperbole, correct? To emphasize the fact that he's continuing. I mean, he's still got his daily duties to do, but he's continually bringing this before the Lord. It wasn't just one time that he said a quick prayer. Some time lapses between the time of hearing this news, him setting and mourning over it, and he begins to beseech God for an answer. I would suggest, the scripture doesn't tell us this directly, but the reason he goes to Artaxerxes is because he's starting to get some answers in prayer. Listen, but on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you, I and my father's house. We talked about this last week. He recognizes the condition, their culture, their society, the slavery, and all the things that are even in Jerusalem is not just because of this generation run amok. It's in generations past have disobeyed God. 
there are consequences to not obeying God, even into the next generation. So that's why I say he recognizes this loving kindness. Wait a minute. God's kind and mercy and loving kindness is expressed even though generations have sinned. God doesn't owe our culture because we're Jews, in his case. Because we're Jewish people, God owes us some kind of kindness and mercy. Nope, because we're sinful covenant breakers. And he defines, what do you mean that he sinned in verse 7? We have acted corruptly against you. Nope. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah, yeah. Remember when David gets confronted by Nathan for complotting and committing murder and adultery? David says this, I have sinned against God, against you. Okay? Not, not just Uriah and his family, not just Bathsheba, but he recognized his sin is primarily against God. We have acted corruptly against you. How? We have not kept your commandments, statutes, and ordinances. Now, that's a comprehensive description. I'm not going to break that all apart today. But as you know, if you remember reading the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy, and Exodus, you have everything from the thou shalt not, right? Have any other gods before me? To thou, you shall live this way. You shall act that way. You shall eat these things. Okay? It's just a comprehensive statement for that. None of them did we keep. Not just the idolatry one or the don't commit adultery one, but the simple ones like giving the land to Sabbath rest. Okay? Like celebrating Passover. They broke the covenant. They sinned. Notice he's the promise keeper. They're the covenant keeper. They're the covenant breakers. And that's where he talks about the consequences of the sin. Matter of fact, he says God promised that there would be consequences to the sin. Remember the word which you commanded, God, to your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. God promises this. There are consequences to sin. What a promise. Again, stick that on your refrigerator with those other ones. You know, those ones taken out of context, like I should do all things through Christ, it gives me strength, or we're two or three. Anyway, should have been in Ben's Bible study if you don't know what we're talking about there. I got to do this. When In Philippians, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What is the context? It's not winning a football game. It's not climbing a mountain. It's not starting a company. If you read it, it's Paul's ability to be content in prison. Through adversity, through hunger, says, I've known all those things, so I can do all things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I just wanted to put that in context for you, because it's one of my pet peeves when we take scripture out of context. And I can do all things. What do I mean? I can endure mask. Did I say that out loud, Glenn? I, I can endure government persecution, for I can do all things. It's not about going out and succeeding in the world. That's the con. I'll keep moving. Sorry for getting off on that. All right. But he said there's consequences of this sin. We're here because we sinned. We broke the covenant. Then there's that part of the promise that goes, yeah, but if you, you, know, you break the covenant, you'll be scattered. But you know, underline that. I would love to do a whole series sometimes on, excuse me, the, the butts of Scripture. Oh, but those contrasted. There's a contrast to that. But if you return to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you sin, you're going to be scattered. But if you return to me, 
and keep my commandments. Notice doesn't it? If you return to me and keep breaking the commandments. No, no, no. Returning includes doing what God said. Keep my commandments and do them. Not just believe in them. Not just affirming and say amen when the preacher's talking. Actually do them. Through those whom you have, though those you have scattered, in the most remote part of the heavens, again, not literally up in the heavens, it's an idiom, okay? I will gather them from there and will bring to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. I, I think, now we all know that that is also an idiom or a euphemism for the temple, but I think God purposely didn't put the word temple there. Where I choose to make my name known. You know, that could be in your neighborhood. That could be where you work. That could be in your school. That could be in your family. For they are your servants, your people, whom you have redeemed. Redeemed. Bought back. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed but Anybody know that besides me and my only one group in church? Anyway. How were they redeemed? By your great power and by your strong hand. They're not redeemed because they turn back. They're not redeemed because they follow the commandments. They are redeemed by the mighty power of God. I, I better leave that alone. And then the verse 11a goes on to say, O Lord, I beseech you that you may hear and be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants... So not just me. I know there's other people out there that have a heart for you, God, that has a passion for what you have a passion for, and I know those people are praying too. And your servants, now watch, who delight or desire to fear your name. Did you catch that? How many of you delight to fear the name of God? Notice it doesn't say fear Artaxerxes. Fear the 900-mile gap between where we are and where Jerusalem is. Fear the ridicule of the world. No, 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 no. Those who delight to fear in you. He recognizes that it is God who is in control of all this. It's you're the one i got to worry about. Whether I'm doing what you called me to do, what you've told us to do, I don't have to worry about what Xerxes says, what the people down there says, what the left says, what the right says, what the congressman said, what the kings, that don't matter. Doesn't matter they blocked you out of Facebook last week. But you got to fear God. Do you desire to fear God? We all do, especially right after we sin. I just wish we'd fear him before then, me included. If I had more fear of God and I went to do that, oh, wait a minute. He understood this. One of the keys to keeping the commandments and doing God is fearing him. Jesus put it this way. Don't fear the guy that can kill you and put you in the grave. Fear the guy that can take your, send your soul to hell. Yes, that is a real place. Anyway, then continuing in verse 11. To make your servants successful today. This is what else we're praying. Not just me, but somewhere there's others praying. To make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer of the king. So make your servant successful today. Okay? He didn't say, God, um, 
make my mission successful. He's asking God to give him success, grant him compassion when he goes before Artaxerxes, because he says when he goes before the king, that this man, what man? Well, I'm the cupbearer of the king. So it's telling you what man that is. But to grant him compassion, the word compassion is interesting here because its root word is womb. Okay? But in this case, it's in the masculine. It's the masculine form of, of womb. That is, like brothers, born of the same womb. God, when I go before him, I want that man to be a brother by another mother. And when I go before I want him to be Jewish. I want him to understand the plight as if he came from the same womb I came from. Wow. See, we don't get it in the English, but that's the intensity. Like he was one of us. Now, you got to realize, back in Ezra chapter 4, Artaxerxes stopped the rebuilding of the wall. Some guys tried to do it. Some letter was written to him. By force of arms, he stopped them from rebuilding the wall. Oh, 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 and you're going to go to that king and ask him to rebuild the wall. God, I need you to thank him to have a heart of the Jewish people here. I, I, know, I know it seems impossible, that politician you think about, whoever that is, that they would ever think like a Christian. Well, then pray that way and see what happens. God can change their heart. He can be wicked as can be and stay wicked because Artaxerxes didn't become a Christian after this. He didn't become a believer, okay? But God gave him that heart. Application. Number one, God can and does call ordinary people. I think it's important here that he's not a Levite. He's not a priest. He's a slave. Now, living well slave, I don't argue that. He's told where to live. He's told when he can eat. Relatively insignificant as far as anything goes. He's not a governor. He's not a leader. He's not a pastor. He's just the guy who brings the cup. He's a 900 miles about from Jerusalem. What could he do? He's just a nobody. God says, I call nobodies all day long. They could be shepherds in a field. They can be fishermen. They can work for the IRS, Matthew. He used and calls ordinary people. Okay? Two. God has placed you, like him, where he is supposed, exactly where God wants him to be. Some, at some point, somebody comes along and says, you know, he looks, he's a pretty trustworthy slave. Let's, let's put him in charge of the king's cup. He's loyal, he's faithful, but he's also expendable. That's why they want to use a slave. He drinks the king's cup, there's poison in it, he's gone. We don't want that to happen to one of ours. Let's use one of these lesser people. In their mind. But when he tastes the king's cup, if he looked away for a minute, had to use the little boy's room, and he comes back, he's going, I hope, I hope nobody, I better check. Because, right, if he doesn't check it, it kills the king, they're killing him anyway. So he's reminded that he's insignificant enough, he's expendable. Trustworthy and loyal, Slave, but expendable. Okay? 
in human eyes, he's expendable. When he goes to drink that cup, when he's walked away from a moment, he's exactly where God wanted him to be. How long he serves as cupbearer, we're not sure. But I imagine at times when he went back to his room and at God, why do you have me here? All I do is carry a cup to make sure the wicked guy, the idol-worshipping, polytheistic pagan who stopped the building of the walls before, so he doesn't die. What kind of job is that? I want to serve in the kingdom somehow, God. Three. God's call often interrupts your ordinary day. Yeah, you, you, you're in a grocery store, you're filling up the gas tank, and you overhear a conversation, and your heart breaks. I can ignore that. Or you respond to that. We tend to think that God's call comes to us on us during some powerful church service, Bible study, or prayer meeting. Okay, and then we get the EBGBs. Our hair stands up, if we have it. Our hair stands up and you feel this ooh, feeling, ooh, I'm supposed to go on a mission field or whatever. Okay, he's going about his every day and there just happens to be some guys that come back from Jerusalem. Well, hi, Joe. How'd the trip go? Tell me about it. And then his heart breaks. God's calling often comes in the middle of an ordinary day. Four, God's call always causes you to have a burden for people, not walls. Now, he recognized the walls are significant. But remember, the first part of this is the people. Okay? Those who are suffering, oppressed, lost, God's call always causes you to have a burden for people. So in my life, ladies and gentlemen, it says it this way, God's burden always, God's call always expands your burden. Your burden at first is living in this world. These Jews that work with me in the palace, you know, we got to hold it together, keep each other strong, worship the Lord God. But then a burden comes in, boom! I mean, I was having enough problem with this. Now, God, you'll call me to, out here to weep for thee. I'm, I'm weeping for thee, and you want me to weep for them too? But why? Jesus died for people, by the way. Not cities or buildings or organizations, but people. I said this already. One of the things his heart broke, because he had a heart for the things God has a heart for. God has a heart for people. So when you tell me you can be a Christian and love God, but not want to be with his people. Oh, I get one amen out of that. Anyway. <clears throat> The other thing is, of number five here, the practicals, learn to go to God immediately and first. Or first and immediately. I don't care which way. I just thought I'd put immediately there because it was immediate. Okay? There are many things you can do after you pray. But there's nothing you can do until you pray. I hate this. Well, at least we can pray. At least. That's, that's the most powerful thing you can do. Before you, you give some money to the poor, before you counsel that hurting person, before you do any of that, pray first. Okay? P 
particularly when it comes to those situations like this, those big life situations. But if you learn to pray over the little ones, my wife loses the keys. First thing she does is pray that God will help her find the keys. Okay? Learned, learn. If you haven't learned to do that, you will. He'll take you there. Well, you'll, he'll put you in captivity and serving the king and making sure you're the one that tasted the poison first. And the analogy here. Maybe that's where he learned to pray first. Uh, okay, God, protect me from whatever's in this cup. If that's your job, would you pray? When you know how many people hated the king, and you can look at this in history, literally one of these kings reigned for four months with a half-brother killed the other one, and then the other one killed that one, and then finally this one kills that one, and they don't even reign a year. So it's very probable somebody's trying to knock out Xerxes because he's got all these half-brothers okay, from the harems that they had, and any of them want to rule. So this isn't a slight probability. It's a pretty high probability somebody's trying to knock off our Xerxes. I would be praying too every time I picked up that cup. Oh yeah, come on, you pray for your food before you eat, right? Now today if I told you there was a very high probability when you go to dinner there's poison in that food. Let's see if you pray. Tim and I, when we've traveled in Asia, Southeast Asia, sometimes we pray for it because we don't know what that is. And apparently that time I had the anaphylactic shock, I didn't pray, I guess. <laughs> okay. Pray first. I want you to realize he's the cupbearer, the insignificant, expendable guy. A slave, no authority and no power. And he begins to pray oh, to the point where he's willing to fear God more than Artaxerxes. That he says, okay, I'm going to act now. I've prayed. Now I'm going to actually act. I'm actually going to do. I'm going to go before him. So God, I want you to move him so he's like a brother, uh, born of the same womb when I go to him. Okay? But I want you to understand, from a natural point of view, this is just impossible. He doesn't have millions in savings to fund such a thing. If he just got up and left, he'd be a runaway slave. Okay? Even if he got permission just to leave... He's got to pass through a whole bunch of other territories where anybody can knock him off in the meantime. Okay? Here's the last part of the application. God does his best work when it's mission impossible. When you're looking at it and going, hey, I'm I'm a cup, me, you know, I I don't know the Bible like like, like Pastor Andy. I I don't worship like, like, I'm just a plumber. I'm just a ditch digger. I'm just a picket. There's no way this could be done when you look at me, my situation, at my good. That's when God does his best work. You know why that is? Because then he has to get the glory. You sure ain't going to get any. You're just a plumber or just a fisherman or just working for the IRS. Okay. That's how he gets the glory. You. David become the great, became the greatest king in Israel. They still look up to today. They still call it the city of David today. And he was a sheep herder. Okay? Why? Because then God gets the glory. When you're, a, when you're a teenage boy and you kill a giant, God gets the glory. When it's never rained before and you're building a boat, that's when God gets the glory. You see what I'm saying? Even when there's a man that's blind, and people want to attribute that to the sin of his parents. Jesus says, wait a minute, you know why all this happened? So God can be glorified. Now I'm going to be on you. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be blind from birth 
to however old I am before Jesus comes along and heals. I don't want that. But it's all for God's glory. Recognize when you're going through your ordinary day and that moment comes where God puts burden on your heart, expands your burden from where it has been. When he does that, it's not for the benefit of the person God's given you the burden for. It's not for your benefit so you feel good about yourself that you've been used and you helped. It's about the glory of God. This is why sometimes when God speaks to you and in that moment you respond to that burden that he's given you, you don't let somebody see you. A simple note comes with an envelope to the glory of God. But see, too many people, I'm going to be honest, want to put their name on it or want, want to make sure you know that I'm the one helping you. Mm, you're missing the opportunity. This is all about the glory of God. That means you do whatever you can do to keep your name out of it. Wait a minute. This is one of the reasons in the New Testament, when it talks about benevolence, not support of the church, but benevolence, helping those in need, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. When, when it comes to meeting the need, the glory all goes to God. Let's stand. Father, I thank you for your word because there we find life. It's the revelation of who you are. And God, we want to know you. God, I thank you that you do use ordinary people. That whatever situation we're in, we're exactly where you wanted us to be. God, interrupt our day our ordinary day to expand our burden. Cause us, O oh God, to have a heart broken for people. And that God would respond quickly, immediately, and first to go to you. And God, help us to understand that it is really all about you. It's about you receiving the glory. Help us, O oh God, to stay humble when you call on us and keep ourselves out of the limelight. For yours is the glory and the power forever. Amen. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit Kindred Bible dot org forward slash media and there you can also subscribe to the podcast if you're being ministered to by this broadcast i'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry giving is easy just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give there you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter but if you prefer you can send your gift to kbc p.o box 32 nampa Idaho 83653. 
Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.